Please open your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 2. Once again, encourage you uh, to find the online bulletin, uh, and you can follow along with the sermon outline on the, uh, it's on the homepage of our website. So we'll be reading Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 5 through 17. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations, and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long? and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of Hern. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts? that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk, in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and other shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Amen. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Who are those two kinds of people? I am not speaking about the division between those who love the New England Patriots and those who hate the Patriots. While most Mainers fall into the categories of those who love the Patriots, believe me when I tell you that there are people outside of New England who actually despise the Patriots. There's not the division as well between those who love dogs and those who love cats. I'm not talking about that division either seems that there are some who can love both dogs and cats. Most people make a choice of one over the other, but I'm not talking about the division between those who love dogs and cats either. Nor am I speaking about the division in this country between those who love the Republicans and those who love the Democrats. My mailbox and the sports that I watch on TV are currently flooded by political advertisements telling me who I need to vote for in this election. 
But the division of people between Republicans and Democrats is not the division that I am speaking about either. No. The Bible says that the two kinds of people in the world today are those who are proud and those who have faith. You are either proud or you have faith in God. Those are your options. The division between proud people and people of faith has been true throughout all of history. It was certainly true in the prophet Habakkuk's day, more than 600 years before Jesus was born. God had told Habakkuk that God was going to use the Babylonians to judge his chosen people of Israel. Habakkuk did not like this plan, and so he told God, this means that you are going to use really bad people to judge quite bad people. How can that be? Aren't you supposed to be holy and just? Aren't you supposed to be fair? Now in Habakkuk chapter 2, which we just read, God tells Habakkuk not to worry. He will judge the really bad Babylonians and not just the quite bad Israelites. And the defining characteristic of these Babylonians is their pride. These arrogant Babylonians, with their bloated self-esteem, will get what is coming to them. Habakkuk was wrestling with God over what he was going to do about these evil people. God said, don't worry. They will be judged. They will be judged for their brutality and their wickedness. Proud, wicked people will have their day of judgment. Let's look more closely at Habakkuk chapter 2 today. Let's see some of the characteristics of those who are proud and those who are people of faith. First of all, there are proud people in the world who only trust themselves. The two kinds of people in the world are mentioned in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. There we read, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. God contrasts the puffed up and the proud Babylonians with those who are humble and live by faith in God. People who are proud are puffed up in the sense that they trust only in themselves. But the righteous, they're not arrogant. They do not trust in themselves and their own might and their own wisdom. Instead, they trust God. Now, by contrast, Habakkuk begins to describe the Babylonians in verse 5. The Babylonians, we read in that verse, loved their wine. But their wine would betray them. In Daniel chapter 5, we read about how the Babylonian Empire came crashing to the ground in one night. At a drunken party, the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar, saw this disembodied hand take a pen start to write on the wall. We get the phrase, the handwriting on the wall, from that particular part of Scripture. Well, nobody knew what the writing was, so the people gathered together the old prophet Daniel. They brought him into the room, and they said, Daniel, what does this writing mean? What does it say? And Daniel told the people that the writing essentially said that it was Babylon's time to be up. God's judgment was about to fall on Babylon on this proud people in the midst of their drunken celebration. 
the Persians would defeat and destroy the Babylonians that very night. That was Daniel's message for Babylon. The Babylonians would not have the last word in history. God would have the last word. And God's last word to the Babylonians was a word of mockery. It's the word woe, which we see at the beginning of verses 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19 in Habakkuk chapter 2. Woe, 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 woe. This word woe is a word which means great sorrow. Great sorrow was clearly coming for the Babylonians. This word woe was also a word of mockery. It was a word kind of like our word, eh, eh. The Babylonians had mocked all of their defeated opponents. Now it was God's turn to mock. Like a football referee, God took a yellow flag out of his pocket and he threw it for the Babylonians and their taunting of others. Now it was time for God judge. In verse 6, we see God judge the Babylonians for their injustice. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. The Babylonians had stolen things which it was not their right to take. We read there that they were so greedy, according to verse 5, that their greed was as wide as Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for the grave. The grave, of course, is not content to have just a few people die. The grave needs everyone to die in order for the grave to be satisfied. In the same way, the Babylonians had an insatiable appetite for more and more stuff. They could never have enough, and so they said, we must have more. They wanted it all, and so they just kept taking things, things that did not belong to them. But suddenly we read in verse 7, when the Babylonians least expected it, it will be time for God to judge. And what we see over and over in Habakkuk chapter 2 is that God's punishment always fits the crime. It is exactly just. While the mills then of God's justice may grind slowly from our perspective, they do grind exceedingly fine. And so in verse 8 we read, Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. Now what would the people who have been robbed by Babylon say to the Babylonians as they were robbed? Uh-huh. Babylon would be mocked by the nations that they had robbed when Babylon itself was judged by God. In verse 9, we see God judge the Babylonians for trusting that their wealth could make them secure and make them undefeatable because they had so much. We read in verse 9, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. The Babylonians thought that all of their wealth would protect them. It would make them impenetrable. No one could defeat them because they had so much. 
because they were so high and lofty above the rest of the nations. The Babylonians must have thought that they were like a, a bird of prey, an eagle sitting in a high nest that no one could reach, no one could beat them. They were completely safe, or so they thought. But it was not just the Babylonians who thought that they were safe in an eagle's nest. There was another evil empire that built an eagle's nest where its dictator felt safe. Remember who that was who built an eagle's nest? Part a picture this morning of that man. This is uh, Adolf Hitler, of course. Hitler and the Nazis built a retreat center in Bavaria in southern Germany that was at an elevation of over 6,000 feet high on top of a mountain. They called it Eagle's Nest. The Nazis not only made their military plans in this Eagle's Nest, they also had their social meetings there. And they thought, no enemy can reach us here. We are too high up. We are too powerful for anyone else to harm us. We have a right that's going to last for a thousand years. But how long did the German Reich last? Twelve years. Nazi empire collapsed, just like the Babylonian empire collapsed. Vicious empires then should remember the words of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18. Let's read those words together. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God judged the Babylonians for thinking that they were so powerful, they were so rich that no one could defeat them. God judged them. They were wrong. No one is outside of the reach of God and His judgment when God determines to judge a people. In verse 12, we see God judge the Babylonians for their cruelty. We read, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. The Babylonians had spilled much blood in building their towns and cities. But what would be the result of all this violence of the Babylonians? Verse 13 says, Is it not from the Lord of hosts? that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. God told Habakkuk, his prophet, that the Babylonians are building their empire for no purpose. For nothing. It will not last. It will be burned up in the fire of God's judgment. The whole empire will go down in flames and down in shame. The rotten core of violence done against other human beings shall be exposed, and the whole of the corrupt empire of Babylon shall be exposed. Then in verse 15, we see God judge Babylon for its immorality. We read there, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. We have already seen in Habakkuk chapter 2 that the Babylonians loved their alcohol. Now we see that those of you who have gone to non-Christian colleges are well aware 
that there's a connection between alcohol and sex. Apparently, the Babylonians liked their wild parties just as much as the average college student. And so they mocked their enemies, the Babylonians did when they saw them naked. But now it was time for God to mock them. Verse 16 says that the cup of the Lord's right hand, the cup of his wrath and of his judgment, will come around to you, God says. God says you made other people drunk. Now it's your turn to be drunk. And their drunkenness would lead to utter shame, according to verse 16. This utter shame refers to the vomit of a drunk. God was going to make the Babylonians lie drunk and naked in their own vomit. Quite a picture of God's judgment, isn't it? So God is telling Habakkuk, Yes, you are wrestling right now. You are wrestling with the thought that the wicked Babylonians could be used by me to judge my people Israel. I understand why you are wrestling. But just because I am going to use Babylon to judge Israel does not by any means indicate that the Babylonians themselves will escape from the judgment of God. They too will be judged. Their day is coming. Believe it. Some of you have spoken to me in recent weeks as we've been going through this series in Habakkuk. You've been talking to me about the sins that you see God judge in both Israel and in Babylon. Today, for example, in Habakkuk chapter 2, we see God judge sins of injustice, of trusting in your own power and wealth, of violent cruelty and immorality. And some of you have said to me, Pastor, I don't know if you realize this, but the sins that God judged in Israel and in Babylon, those are the same sins that we are committing in America today. Have you noticed that? Isn't that kind of alarming? Yes. Yes, it is. God has not changed. God still judges nations for their sin. So what is it that gives me hope today as I think about this country of America that we all love? One thing that gives me hope is that God is patient. God frequently will delay his judgment for as long as possible in order to give people a chance to repent. So what gives me hope today? God is merciful. That's what I bank my life on. I have seen God be merciful to me over and over again. And so I am trusting that God will be merciful to our country. And I pray he is. I am hopeful for our nation because we worship a merciful God. The second thing that gives me hope today as I think about our nation is that prayer is powerful. If we as God's people will pray for repentance and revival for our nation, God might hear our prayers and save our country from his judgment. God might send the revival and awakening that our country desperately needs. 
And so my question for you today is, are you praying for our country? Do you pray regularly for God to bring us back to a sense of who he is? Do you pray for us to repent, to turn to God for forgiveness? We need to turn away from our pride, and we need to turn back to God. There are people who are proud in our world today. There always have been, and there always will be. But thank God those are not the only people in the world. There are also people of faith who trust in God. While the proud trust only in themselves, people of faith trust in God. Pastor Travis spoke last week in his excellent sermon from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, which says that the righteous shall live by what? By his faith. We put our trust in God and we live by faith in what he says. We rely on God completely to keep all of his promises. And one of God's most wonderful promises is found in this passage we read today. It's found in verse 14. Look at that promise again. We read, therefore, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Church, let me ask you a question this morning. Where, where is history headed? If history is headed to a point, what's the point of history? What does this verse say? History is headed to a point where people all around the world will worship our glorious God. That's the point of history. That's why God has created this world, so that everyone that he has made might worship him. He wants to draw people to faith to worship him. Now, when you look at proud people like the Babylonians, and the proud people that you see around you today, it might make you wonder if history is really headed toward an earth that is full of people who trust in the one true God. How can that be when there are so many proud people? But this is God's promise, that the earth will be full of people who are worshipers of God. God meant for Habakkuk and the people of Israel to be encouraged by this promise when there was so much sin and violence in the world that they lived in. Yes, Israel would be in conflict with the proud Babylonians for years to come. But this battle would not last forever. Babylon would be judged by God, like all proud people are judged. And the victory ultimately would be given to people of faith. I think there was not just Habakkuk and the Israelites who needed this word of encouragement from God. Not just them who needed this promise in Habakkuk 2 and verse 14. God also meant to encourage us as we deal with proud people who don't seem to love God in any way. God is telling us today through this verse, I am not going to get history wrong, either the world's history or your personal history. I am going to right every wrong in the world. I am a just God and the just over all the earth. 
What that means is that if you are a Christian, it is all going to work out right for you in the end. If things are not going right for you at this moment, that means it is not the end. God will reward people of faith. If you are experiencing difficulty of some kind right now today, God has allowed this trouble in your life to purify you and to refine your faith. God was at work in Habakkuk's day to purify the people of Israel who are caught in sin. And God is at work in us through various means to make us more like Jesus and to cause us to trust God more and more. So if you are going through a hard time today, remember to pray what Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God has not yet come in all of its glory. The kingdom began with Jesus' arrival on earth the first time. But it will not fully come until the new heaven and the new earth arrive after Jesus returns to earth. We are going to have to wait with faith in order to see that world. The kingdom will fully come in the future. Keep your faith then in God. Rejoice that he will keep his promise. He will grow his kingdom until the earth is filled with people of faith even if proud people are doing their best to fight against the kingdom of God today. But what has to happen first before God's kingdom fills the earth? The proud, like the Babylonians, must be judged by God first. A lot of people don't like to hear about God's judgment. They think it makes God somehow mean or cruel. But the reality is, if there were not God's judgment, then God's glory could not be seen. I don't know about you, I want to see God's glory. I want to see his greatness. I want to see his holiness. I want to see all the goodness of God. So if I want to see that, you know what has to happen first? God has to judge sin. Sin must be judged first. If I want to see the glory of God Sin must be judged. If we're going to see how beautiful God is, if we're going to see the glory of His holiness, all pride and wickedness must be judged first. Then the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the third time in the Bible that God makes this promise here in Habakkuk. It is interesting to me that every single time that God makes this promise, he makes the promise in the context of talking about God's judgment. Here in the book of Habakkuk, God is promising to judge the Babylonians. And then the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 21, God promises that all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. He makes that promise in the context of God himself judging his own chosen people of Israel. In the book of Numbers, the vast majority of 
the Jews had refused to obey God's command and enter into the promised land. There were just two people among all the Jews who were willing to obey God, Moses and Caleb, right? That was it. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies who came out and said, hey, we're going to obey God's command. Everybody else said, don't do it. We'll get killed. Forget it. Let's not obey God. But in the context of the book of Numbers, God had said, you need to go in and take over the land. And only two were willing to do it. So what did God do in judgment as a result? He had to judge that entire generation of Israelites. He judged his chosen people for 40 years before the glory of the Lord could fill the whole earth. And in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 9, God makes the same promise. God promises again that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in Isaiah, God made this promise as Israel dealt with the proud Assyrian nation. God had to judge the Assyrians first before God could send his Messiah, Jesus, who would spread the glory of God around the world through the message of the gospel about Jesus. You know what my favorite part of Hope Baptist Church is? It's you, of course. You are my favorite person in this entire church. Don't let anybody else know it, but it's the truth. It'll be our little secret. You are my favorite person here. But my other favorite part of Hope Baptist Church, apart from you, of course, is the support that our church gives to missions and to missionaries around the world. As we spread the good news about Jesus, people around the world who do not yet know him. God has made a promise here in Habakkuk 2 and elsewhere to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wherever water goes, God's glory will be known by the people who live on that shore. Our part as a church is to send and to support and to pray for missionaries as they go with the gospel around the world. Through our missionaries, people around the world are seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And they are putting their trust in Jesus as a result. They are turning away from their pride and from their sin, and they are following Jesus instead. In Jesus, then, we are seeing the triumph of faith over pride all around the world. And that makes me happy. Lately, I have been excited to read stories about Muslims from around the world, former Muslims who are now surrendering themselves to Jesus Christ. Recently, I read a story about a former Muslim in Ethiopia, in northern Africa. This mother had two teenage daughters, and the mom became a Christian some years ago, but she never told her daughters about her faith in Christ. You see, if her Muslim husband found out that his wife was now a Christian, he would likely divorce her or worse. And so this mom hid her faith in Jesus for years. But she continued praying for her family in secret, that they too might come to faith in Christ. Well, six months ago, both of her daughters 
put their trust in Jesus to save their souls. The daughters, too, tried to keep their father from finding out about their new faith in Christ. But the dad did find out, and he took all of his daughter's belongings and he threw them out of the house and said that his daughters must go. They can no longer be his children. How high a price many people pay for putting their trust in Jesus. And yet, these former Muslims are keeping their faith in Christ, in spite of their conflicts with proud and arrogant unbelievers. You know what these stories, like these of Christians keeping their faith in difficult times, do for my own faith? They remind me, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is always worth trusting. Jesus is worth trusting because Jesus is better. Jesus' love is better even than the love of family. And Jesus' glory and beauty are greater than can be found anywhere else. His glory and beauty are certainly better than anything that is found within me. So I need to let go of my pride. Pride is ugly. Pride is foolish. I need to put my trust fully in God and let go of any faith in myself. If you are struggling to keep your faith in Christ today, remember the promise of God from Habakkuk chapter 2. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. People all over the world will join together with you to worship Christ. So hang in there. Keep the faith. God knows what he is doing in this world. His promise will come true. And may this promise of God from Habakkuk 2 help you to endure your trust in God will be shared by many others. The proud will be judged, and your trust in God will prove to be worth it. Let's pray together. God, how grateful we are that you are a just judge. How grateful we are that sin will not conquer how grateful we are that your righteousness and holiness will be revealed. Thank you, O oh Lord. And thank you, O oh Lord, that you have called us to trust in you. Father, many of us are wrestling with different questions in our lives. We are wrestling with our faith today. Help us, O oh Lord, to trust you because you are good. You are king. You are in control. And you will bring us home a wonderful kingdom in the days to come. In your name we pray. Amen.